You're listening to an IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education. Powered by UCL Minds. This is Research for the Real World. Conversations with researchers and the path they've taken to help shape our everyday lives. Hello, I'm Dr. Hamera Iqbal and I'm a lecturer in psychology at the Thomas Coram Research Unit at the UCL Institute of Education. On today's episode, we are so pleased to have with us Dr. Alice Pettigrew, who is a social scientist and a senior research associate leading the UCL Centre for Holocaust Education's research team. This centre, based at the IOE, is the only specialist institute in the UK supporting teachers on Holocaust education in the classroom using the best in contemporary research. Alice was one of the principal authors, both of the centre's national studies, teaching about the Holocaust in England secondary schools and what do students know about the Holocaust. Her wider research interests include on identity formation, the intersections between ethnicity, race and nation, multicultural and anti-racist pedagogy, as well as responsibility and remembrance. Currently, she serves as part of an advisory reference board for Shifting Boundaries, an empirical exploration of anti-Semitism in Norway, funded by the Norwegian Research Council. Today, we are going to talk to Alice about her work at the Centre for Holocaust Education. Welcome to the podcast, Alice. Thanks for being here. How are things? Thank you for inviting me on. Things are things are okay, given the wider context of everything. It's a, a bit of an ongoing juggling act with my research, academic work, and three small children at home. But I'm uh, feeling quite privileged to have this little slot in the day where I can just talk and think with you about the things that are important to me through work. My children have been banished from the house for a good hour and a half, so there's no risk of, of small people bundling through the door, which is, feels quite a privilege. Oh, well, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your work today. I want to start by asking you, why do you think it's so important to learn about this particular incident? Okay, so this is a really key question, and it sort of shone through our council teachers and my making sense of this as a field in the sort of first couple of years that I worked within the centre way back in 2009. Because on one level, an answer to that question and and why the centre was set up in the first place is really unusually, it's remained a compulsory component of the national curriculum and history. So through every iteration of the national curriculum that we've had in England, the Holocaust has appeared there as statutory compulsory content to be taught. And it's really unusual in that respect. So on one level, and answer the question of why we exist as a centre is because it's an area that teachers need to teach about and it's a subject that students we've decided at a sort of political level at the country that it, it's a, a vitally important component of a compulsory secondary education but the rationale for that hasn't ever really been made very clear so it appears there as this compulsory content but there is no explicit rationale is given to teachers or the students about why it deserves that place. It's sort of almost presented as though it's self-evident. And that was really interesting, working with teachers who overwhelmingly agreed when we asked them in 2019 about the value they place on this issue. They overwhelmingly agreed that it was both very important that it existed within the curriculum and that it was always going to remain important within the curriculum. Uh, but then when you sort of questioned them or pushed them a bit further on that about why it was so important, 
they found that really difficult to answer because it, it hadn't really been reflected on. And as I say, that sort of echoes things at a policy level. It's presented as though it's obvious why this should be an important history for us to learn about. And working within a centre for Holocaust education is probably not at all surprising that I work with colleagues who can provide very compelling, various reasons. It's an important part of understanding contemporary Europe. But I think all of my colleagues would also be united in agreeing that those cases still need to be made, that importance still needs to be explained, because there are different reasons that you can approach the Holocaust. Some people, it's one of the most popular aims when we presented teachers with a list, notions about ensuring that something like this never happens again, or understanding the roots and ramifications of, of prejudice. And they can lead to quite a different pedagogy than if you think actually the value of learning about the Holocaust is about individual responsibilities and the relationships between people in, in power and individual decision makers, or if you were to emphasise the spiritual or theological importance of that history. So the, the argument I think that colleagues in the centre make powerfully and we've worked through in our research is that some reflection is needed on what teachers are trying to do because that then leads to questions about what content is included because if we're saying it's important to know about the Holocaust but in practice that looks like three to five hours in the classroom what do we need to know about the Holocaust and why so what content needs to be included and again those questions follow and, and I think need to be guided by what your ultimately what your educational aim is, what you're hoping your students will get out of this. So I guess what I'm hearing is like the remit of the centre is really to kind of move away from a breadth and really try and focus on a depth of thinking around the Holocaust. And it's really interesting that kind of thinking about the fact that there are only three to five hours, as you said, of teaching on this across the, the curriculum or semester. So in, in that time, what have you found to be the best methods for teaching about the Holocaust? What are the things that you encourage teachers to think about and I guess teach to students? Maybe useful if I just clarify. So the three to five hours would maybe be a, a, an average if we were to say across. It's it's probably important to note that one of the things that we found out when we were researching this in two thousand and nine is that this actually a, a great variety in the amount of time that individual subject teachers are willing to, to spend on this. And my focus there would, would be on key stage three history. So that's, again, that's the compulsory curriculum content that our government have decided this is something that students should encounter within their first three years at secondary school within the history department. But we quickly found that actually teaching was happening in lots of different subject areas and in, with different year groups not always in a way that was particularly coordinated at a school level. So if I just focus in answering your question on that key stage three history curriculum, you know, I think your question was about what, what do we encourage teachers to teach or what do we, we think is most important for them to include? I'd sort of flip that back a wee bit again and say it really depends on what the teachers are trying to do and, and try to get out of those lessons. But one thing that is consistent in all of our approaches is the importance of accurate historical understandings. We take great care because we understand the tangles that you can get into there, that this isn't an argument about historical knowledge for the sake of historical knowledge and facts and figures because that's what's all important, but rather a sort of more complex, a nuanced but important argument that actually the understanding and the meaning that you can derive from this history really depends on sort of firm and secure historical knowledge of some specific things and if you don't have that then the potential 
or understanding the significance of this history is a wee bit undermined. So in our 2016 research, we were really focusing on what students knew and understood. And we really tried to avoid doing that as a kind of a checklist knowledge test. But there were some important gaps in knowledge and pretty entrenched myths and misconceptions that students regularly had even at the end of their lessons of the Holocaust and our argument was well what can you really understand about this history or learn from this history if you've misunderstood some of these fundamentals so yeah that's the kind of the key message that echoes through our work that knowledge is important where you can build meaning from it there are some quite useful examples, I think, from our research. So, for example, a very widespread misconception seemed to be around issues of responsibility and perpetration as responsible for the Holocaust. So one of our questions we asked, what would be the likely consequence if a member of the occupying forces refused to carry out an order, an order to kill? Because we thought that's getting at what we saw as quite an enduring conception that the people who took part in the actual killings did so because either because they were brainwashed or they were fearful for their own lives or those of others. And the historical evidence, which was prepared for things like the Nuremberg trials, where they were desperately trying to find rationales, reasons that people might have committed these terrible acts, there's actually almost no evidence, very little evidence that anything more serious than being reassigned to duty was actually the likely outcome. But students and a number of teachers don't recognise that at all. They were much, much more likely to assume that a person disobeying an order would be shot or sent to the Eastern Front. And then that leads to quite different significance of what these historical events mean and what they tell us about people and the decisions that people make. There's a sort of an easier history if you think people could be led into these awful acts of murder and of genocide if they were doing so because they were terrified. And actually, the historical record and the reality is explored by Christopher Browning is an awful lot more complex than that. And it's a lot more sort of knotty for students to, to kind of grapple with. Yeah, actually it ties into what I was going to ask you about whether students would find it difficult to relate to stories of the Holocaust and whether there's a worry that future generations won't understand its impact. But I guess from what you're saying there, by trying to unpick it in a more a detailed way and to look at different facets, it kind of helps students to understand thinking that might be related to other historical events or, I mean, how can we get students to relate to the Holocaust? This is, again, another a key question. And it was interesting in 2009 when we were talking to teachers, notions of relevance kept coming up as kind of key a concern about how we make this history relevant how we engage it with the students of our classrooms. And for a number of teachers, that led to decisions to sort of emphasise key aspects of this history. So we have, I remember conversations with teachers saying that they would make a real effort to emphasise the targeting of other victim groups, for example. So I have in my head people saying, oh yeah, we'd make, to sure, we'd make sure to bring in histories of what happened to people with disabilities, for example. I know that makes sense to the people in my classrooms. So they were kind of I'll shy away from saying kind of distorting the history, but they were putting particular focuses on aspects of this history because of their overriding kind of pedagogical concern to make it relevant. But that then in turn had consequences 
for, for students' understanding and led amongst the students that we then spoke to in 2016 to have sometimes quite skewed understandings of, of who the victims of, of the Holocaust were. So where the message at school had been too sort of heavily emphasising that this was about multiple different groups who were perceived as different, that could lead to quite problematic understandings where students thought anybody that could be conceived of as different um, to the Aryan German Nazi was sort of at, at equal risk of persecution or worse that we have people kind of then bringing in uh, well, I think Muslims were the victims of the Holocaust or sort of quite quite skewed <laughs> skewed understandings of the sort of historical record. And I think that matters on a number of levels, but not least that I think if you're thinking about this as a sort of, as a human story, about what people do, so there's people on either sides of this history, right? there people were the perpetrators and people were the victims, there is a resonance. And I think in other schools or as talking with other students, I think uh, students from various different backgrounds got that and recognised it as a human story. Um, but it's also a story that is important to us across Europe and in terms of its relationship to modernity, I think, and the kind of society that we're continuing to, to live in, this historical period that we're continuing to live in. It's, um, it's a, quite a, a vital a component of understanding who we are, where we are now. Yes, yeah, so so the notion of relevance is is really interesting. We're redoing some of the work we did, in, or revisiting rather, some of the work we did in two thousand and nine because we recognise that's ten years, a, a couple of changes in government, uh, different curriculum, there are, are different contexts framing teachers' classroom encounters now, and it's really interesting. We're sort of working on that analysis at the moment, but already sort of seeing the different things that are coming out in teachers' accounts and the different challenges that they're facing. And the different things that they're hoping an educational encounter with the Holocaust might do for their students. So they're increasingly talking about more specific concerns around, say, the rise of the far right or populism, uh, relationships with media, fake news. So there are numerous ways that this can be can be not made relevant, but revealed to be very relevant, but without having to distort or skew your focus on the actual Gosh, history. that's really interesting. Like from hearing about the study you did, but what do students know about the Holocaust? Hearing that... It, for some students, it was so incredibly skewed. I mean, is there a system in place by which the curriculum that schools deliver is is kind of monitored or does the centre provide uh, such resources in order to help teachers with teaching this incident or this the, the, about the Holocaust? So again, that was the impetus behind the creation of the centre in the first place, that Although it appears there that you've got to teach about the Holocaust in Key Stage 3 history, there's actually very little, if any, further guidance at all given about what that should include. And that's been fairly consistent across different iterations of the curriculum previously, but there were sort of schemes of work shared at government level. I'll maybe later be able to come back to remember who the qualification authorities were that provided some kind of suggested um, keyword, but very few teachers actually used that. Most were kind of left to their own devices entirely, which was why our principal funders, so the Paris Foundation and the Department for Education, felt that this was an area that teachers actually really needed some support and guidance. At centre level, we don't impose a curriculum or say this is exactly what you've got to do, because I think it's really important that we work in individual school contexts with individual teachers, also respecting the professional, the professionalism and the autonomy and the creativity of teachers. But what our programmes do encourage is for teachers really to reflect on these issues in the context of their own classrooms of what they're trying to achieve and what history is important and also to get them to recognize and confront some of these 
misconceptions because many of them are shared among teachers too and and I confess shared by me when I started working within the centre and it's sort of in in recognizing where those really significant gaps in understandings or sort of distortions or common myths are that teachers can then work on thinking how they confront them with the students what else their students need to know to be able to challenge that understanding and it's pretty pretty hard to do some of these myths are very sort of deeply entrenched I think in popular consciousness outside of the classroom. Coming back to your point on relevance because it all ties into to this around kind of myths that people might have or kind of lack of knowledge or what are some of the statistics about modern day anti-Semitism across the UK and Europe in general? And you did talk about populism before. Has the rise of populism become a concern? Is the centre doing any work around this particular aspect? Okay, so again, really interesting. I, I should probably preface all of this by saying I don't profess to be an expert in contemporary anti-Semitism. And I think that's quite important. Colleagues and I have just written a, a chapter in an edited collection about the relationship between teaching and learning about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism. I think some of the things that you've alluded to, the sense of, of rising anti-Semitism across Europe and certainly in America, and distinct but related to that, rising populism, then xenophobia, things that came out of Brexit discourses, there is quite commonly a, qu- a quick reflex, especially in relation to anti-Semitism, to say, okay, well, if anti-Semitism is rising, something needs to be done. And in many quarters, the thing that needs to be done is more teaching and more teaching about the Holocaust, almost as though the Holocaust is being kind of presented and used as a sort of corrective or a cure-all or a preventative to contemporary anti-Semitism. As my colleagues and I sort of explored in that chapter, that thinking is is flawed on a number of levels. And we're, we're kind of trying to resist the Holocaust being approached as too simplistic a cure for anything, really, whether that's framed as anti-Semitism or generalised racism, xenophobia. What we think that a, a study and an in-depth kind of historically grounded study of the Holocaust can and importantly does do is look at a very specific period in time and look at the kind of the contingent context and interplay of specific strains of racialized nationalism enduring and long-standing anti-semitism at this very specific period in time manifested itself in that way and for sure there are things that you can draw on and better understand and recognize in the present day but it's not a kind of straight conflation between the two things or saying if you understand this you'll avoid this when we were doing the 2016 research the kind of more common argument was teaching and learning about the holocaust is important to prevent or to understand the dangers of racism and you'd hear that from students when you were sort of talking to them about why they thought it was important to learn about the school but very quickly the students would begin to problematize that themselves and say but you know i knew racism was wrong anyway it, it's not like I didn't know racism was long. I learned this terrifying history and now I do. It's like I we had those understandings anyway. And there's a bit of a problem, I think, in both cases that the Holocaust is quite a, an acute example of these things, isn't it? And I think there's a dangerous if in trying to understand and sensitise to yourself to anti-Semitism, you look to the Holocaust. It's quite an easy sort of negative exemplar to reject if that's your model of what anti-Semitism looks like. And then it's much harder to say, you can say, well, you know, I have no genocidal impulses to Jewish people. And then it's easier to kind of distance yourself 
from the way that you, you may very well li still live in a society that's structured by much more sort of insidious anti-Semitic discourses, anti-Semitic stereotypes and beliefs. And the sort of same argument, I think, is important to make around racism. There's a bit of a problem in the kind of approaches that say, well, it's a very slippery slope. And what we understand, students to understand, is it's a slippery slope from, from bullying. And this is where it can lead, because the overwhelming historically experience is that bullying doesn't lead to genocide. Bullying, racist bullying, problematic discourses, stereotypes need to be challenged in and of themselves, I think, and not just with this, as I say, kind of negative exemplar of the Holocaust of where these things might lead. I mean, absolutely. I mean, anti-Semitism exist existed before the Holocaust took place, exists after. And, you know, there's different kind of means of expression of, of racism. Uh, and But I guess it's really important to you know, for us to think about what humans are actually capable of. And I think that would be a really, really important lesson in what you said earlier about authority and obedience. And it kind of, in psychology, we think about, you know, authority and compliance. And, you know, we do think about the Nuremberg trials as well. So it, I think that there's many different kind of aspects uh, that you bring up that are, are really important. If I could just follow up just briefly, perhaps on that specific issue in relation to anti-Semitism, I think one of the key messages through our work and one of the priorities that we're at pains to to emphasize is is just not reducing the complexity of any of these things either in the contemporary day or or in the past and so anti-semitism remains a kind of deeply contentious complex phenomena at academic level there's kind of ongoing debate discussion disagreement around how we understand anti-semitism whether we're talking about one unitary thing that's the same thing that's existed through history or whether it's more accurate to talk about multiple different strains of, of anti-Semitism. It's also ongoing argument, um, interrogation about how you relate and how you, whether it's best to understand anti-Semitism in relation to other forms of discrimination, racializing discourses, or whether it's a kind of needs to be understood as a unique and distinct phenomena. So one of the, the central arguments of the, the chapter that I, I was talking about is kind of really resisting or problematizing the notion that either of these things are simple enough to articulate the problem as rising anti-Semitism is cured by better teaching about the Holocaust or more teaching about the Holocaust. So some of the examples we give of, of ways um, your approach to learning about the Holocaust in the classroom might help or might inform some of these conversations that need to happen in the present day is sort of tuning people into some of the most enduring, and as I say, often insidious anti-Semitic discourses and stereotyping or, or imagery continue today and that you can look at and identify how that was manipulated uh, during the Holocaust. It's also kind of feels particularly important and resonant to do that in relation to the research that we did in 2016 with students where we recognised how few of them even un understood or recognised anti-Semitism as a term. So even this is after completing this compulsory talk content on the on the Holocaust. Only a minority of year 10 students, say, even recognised what the term anti-Semitism meant. So they, they'd gone through their teaching about the Holocaust without that being a kind of central consideration, the sort of specificity of prejudice and discrimination against the Jews. And that led to some really quite troubling findings where students, we were asking them, of their accounts of what happened and if they could what their sense of how you could begin to explain the holocaust might be they really struggled regularly with this issue of why the jews and 
without having an understanding of anti-Semitism, they themselves were kind of pushed into these awkward situations where they were actually drawing on anti-Semitic tropes themselves. So thinking, so arguments that went along the lines of, well, Jews in Germany tended to be a lot richer, a lot more powerful. So maybe that's why Hitler and the Nazis targeted them, had a, a problem with them, and a rich, deep, historically accurate engagement with the Holocaust both depends on an understanding of the long history of anti-Semitism and the particular ways it engaged with Nazis, racial ideology, national racialized nation building, and the specific tropes that they employed. But we want to kind of resist the notion that we got in a number of students' accounts of this idea that this that Jew hatred was invented by Hitler and the Nazis, that he kind of whipped this up from nowhere. This is why history is so important. And actually, one of the one of the, the best museums I went to was in Warsaw, Jewish Museum in Warsaw. And it was really brilliant because it, it kind of used technology to really tell the story of Jewish people. And and I think technology is something that, that could be very useful for for getting across messages to young people and students. And actually in, in Nottinghamshire, in the Holocaust Museum, they're actually, they use holograms of Holocaust survivors to tell their stories to visitors of the museum. And I wonder, you know, thinking about teaching at the Holocaust and technology, what are some of the ways that you think technology could be used as a good aid for teachers? So on that, I'd be remiss, I think, if I didn't highlight colleagues at the centre's involvement with the National Holocaust Centre's work at Laxton. So Ruth-Anne Langer, for example, our programme director, has done some really important work with the survivor community in the UK and acts on advisory boards up at the National Holocaust Centre, has been doing a, a lot of thinking around how those really vitally important educational encounters that at the moment students do still, can still have face-to-face the kind of power of those encounters, if and how any of that can be captured and replicated. So your example there was the holograms, but on a kind of slightly, maybe slightly less sophisticated level, but I think nonetheless important, the sort of digitising and archiving of those testimonies and how they can be used in classrooms and with students, even if you don't have the actual hologram. Because I, th- I think there'd be a concern if the kind of technology overwhelms the content and the and what's actually of most value in that content, which is the kind of personal connection and the stories. But no, there's some really creative ways that people are, are working with that. Yeah, so interesting work with survivors. There's also some interesting work around um, sites, so sites of atrocity and how they can be kind of reconstructed, I guess, digitally or sort of re-inhabited remotely. So it's a wee bit out of my depth. I know we have people across the the IOE who are much better informed around virtual reality and, and digital technologies. But I think as long as there's a kind of a partnership and a marriage and a clarity on what it is that you're trying to to do and why, I think there's a number of different sort of exciting potentials. There's interesting things, I guess, as well, especially in relation to the Holocaust, that relate to how this is a, a mediated history and the reality that so teachers are engaging with this as an episode in history, a kind of a historical event, series of events, and it exists on that plane. But it also really profoundly inhabits popular consciousness, whether that's through media representations and text or book 
couple of films. So there's kind of already rich and important work that looks at the relationship between those two things. So the history of the Holocaust and the symbolism of the Holocaust or its life in popular consciousness. And it's really interesting, I think, how that plays out in classrooms because both students in the classrooms and also their teachers are part of that wider society, right? So they share these popular understandings, these sort of symbolic understandings too. That's something to engage with students' understandings and misunderstandings as well. I find that particularly interesting from a sort of social scientific perspective, the work that the Holocaust as a symbol does. Sorry, you could just elaborate a bit more about what you mean when you say the Holocaust is a symbol. Sure. So I think there's one particular interview with a student who I think is great when a, a young person or a teacher provides you with the words to sort of do your job better than you could. But and in one interview, a student talking about the concept of the Holocaust as opposed to the content of the Holocaust, which is when we were talking about why this might be important or what might be important to learn. And there was a sense shared by a number of students that it was the idea of the Holocaust, the concept of the Holocaust, what that was taken to represent. And I think in that particular interview and in common with a number of the people that we spoke to, crudely, the concept of the Holocaust was like as this warning of this danger of where prejudice and intolerance could, could lead. And that was what for these students, that was the important message. And as this student was then arguing that on that basis, the content didn't really matter at all. So the specific history, the specific historical detail, not that it didn't matter at all, but it was less important than the concept. And I think in terms of our popular consciousness of this history, so the kind of image we have around Auschwitz, I guess, centrally, the work it does as a symbol, as a warning, is oftentimes or in practice becomes more important or sort of overdetermines our understanding of actually the history of itself. So Auschwitz being the example there, that's kind of the key feature of people's, I don't want to say preconceptions, but sort of their conception of what this history is. Auschwitz or the camp system occupies a really central role and completely occludes or hides from view all the killings that didn't happen in Auschwitz or in extermination centres that happened, mass shootings, the Einsatz Gruppen, for example. And again, it's a real part of that history, but it's, it's a distortion to think that the Holocaust begins and ends at Auschwitz. But if you actually want to grapple with the really knotty histories, and as I was saying before, what that means to us in terms of modernity, what it means to us that educated people and in a civilised European society find themselves complicit in, personally responsible for, in some cases, this mass genocide, then there's a lot more that you need to know and that you need to engage with and that you need to be exposed to. Absolutely. It's symbols and kind of imagery is so evocative and kind of evo it kind of evokes feelings and emotions. And I think that it's similar like what's happened on social media often as well like you'll have short bursts of statements and but really what's important is to go into the depth of the subject to really truly understand you know the nuances and to fully understand the history and the complexity so I really hear what you're saying I guess though in a way symbols can be a way to draw in to draw people's interest and imagination to allow them to want to investigate further so I guess in that that sense it could be useful but if you just look at the symbol and you don't unpick it, then really, as you say, you're getting such a sharp burst of information. Absolutely. And, and I think it sort of short changes people on a number of levels. So, yeah, absolutely the complexity and the context, the very specific contexts that help us understand these processes 
generally. But I think the other sort of side to this is that symbols and these kind of simplified, decontextualized concepts, if you say, like going back to the students' words, they can also be quite reassuring because they, t- they tend to function that they're sort of complete, as it were. Like there's a beginning and a middle and an end to it. And it's kind of contained as this thing that we see as a warning side and we, we try and avoid anything like that happening again. But we don't, what students potentially aren't given the opportunity to really grapple with is all the very, the, the sort of most difficult parts of this and the bits that are the hardest to kind of resolve. I think it's quite interesting how that symbol or the concept of Holocaust has sort of been taken and given quite a central position in recent discourses about Britishness and British values. And great play has been made through the, the Prime Minister's Holocaust commission of remembering the holocaust being sort of central to britain's values as a nation and there'll be this new holocaust memorial learning center and the original proposition at least was that it'd be right at the heart of westminster so that you know we we remember this thing but again primarily as a symbol of a kind of abstracted lesson and danger that we don't necessarily then need to really explore our own complicity in and sort of britain's own more complicated (laughs) Uh, relationship with and then that also I think relates to what it means to put that history at the centre of our kind of collective sense of who we are look to the holocaust to kind of distance ourselves yeah to understand and distance ourselves from reaffirm our commitment to preventing that kind of racism that kind of anti-semitism that kind of genocide which is elsewhere and not necessarily confront other areas of our history other that are a bit harder to kind of to neatly tie up and move away from yeah it's like the ongoing discussion about colonialism and and I think it's really hard for a nation and society and individuals to hold up a mirror and look back at you know history and look back at kind of other related incidences or really Britain's place in the world it's difficult you don't always reveal positive stories in fact it's difficult work to do deep thinking so I think that point's great about symbols that you make like you say these are there's a difficult um and uncomfortable conversations and I can absolutely understand the kind of trepidation or reluctance uh, in a classroom context for teachers to be working with their students or introducing their students to these ideas leading their students into these thought processes and discussions that they are that are, that are hard uh, and that aren't necessarily easy to resolve by the end of the bell and when you move on to the next lesson and um, but what I think is really important about the work that we're doing with our teachers in the centres encouraging and supporting teachers to have the confidence and the resources and some of the scaffolding to feel better equipped in opening up those spaces and those conversations with students and kind of grappling with that complexity and and with that difficulty in ways that I think students can really engage with and so respect the opportunity to work through within a kind of safe pedagogical environment and space I think we sort of do young people a disservice if we're presuming preempting that they can't grapple with that echoes conversations with a colleague who's been writing quite a bit about use of atrocity images for example and number of teachers very understandably kind of take their duty of care to their students very, very seriously and want to protect students. But on one level, if we're saying that students have a right to confront this history, they need to learn about this history, it's part of what, as a society, we're 
prioritising with our curriculum, then arguably they really need to confront that history and they really need to confront the magnitude of what was lost and whether that's through atrocity images I think there's sort of important pedagogical questions about what you're left willing to let your students confront and how you can best support them through that and not foreclosing too much of that in advance by packaging up the holocaust as ultimately a story of hope that we've learned from and won't let societies do again. It's really great that the centre exists and I hope teachers do listen to this and uh, if they don't know about the centre they're able to kind of visit you know the website and, and kind of gain access to some of these resources because I'm sure it would be so incredibly helpful. Alice it's, it's been wonderful thank you so much Dr Alice Pettigrew for joining me today and I think it was such a, a really interesting and thoughtful discussion um, so I really appreciate it. But absolute pleasure. It would be great to think that teachers might listen and go to our website where we try really hard to make the work that we're doing, the research that we've done accessible and relevant to classroom contexts. So yeah, please do encourage people on there. Actually, for more information on the Centre for Holocaust Education, you can visit the IOE website and follow the centre at UCL underscore Holocaust. Remember, you can listen to the past three seasons of Research for the Real World and other podcasts from the IOE on your favourite podcasting app. Just search for IOE Podcast and do have a listen to our Spotify playlist of our guests and podcast team's favourite hits to get you through the lockdown. Just search Research for the Real World. I'm Himera Iqbal and see you again next time. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education, University College London.